You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Roxanne Deal and I serve as the Central Guest Services Director here at Connection Church. We have something really exciting taking place at our Statesboro campus on Saturday, August the 27th from 8.30 to noon called our Connector Conference. This annual conference is a time for us to share the vision of why we serve, how we serve, and where we're headed as a church. And it's for everybody. We feel every person has a purpose in helping people connect to a growing relationship with Jesus, whether that's parking cars, leading worship, pouring into our kids and students, or greeting people at the doors. There's a place for you. Maybe you'd enjoy serving behind the scenes. There are lighting and sound boards to run, cameras to operate, security teams to keep our campuses safe, and our incredible prayer warriors covering our whole church in prayer. You see, it doesn't matter what your personality is. God has a purpose for you. During the conference, we'll have two breakout sessions for you to be encouraged and equipped by some of our central area leaders, as well as hear from Brandon Williams, our senior pastor, as he shares the vision and direction of the church. But hang on, we also want to hear from you. You may have an idea of how we can improve our connector model, so we'll learn from each other and make every area at every campus the best it can be. So whether you've been serving with us for a long time and need to be refreshed and inspired, or you're finally taking that next step to get plugged in, the Connector Conference is a great way to get an inside look at everything we do. We're so excited about seeing all of you this year at the Connector Conference, and we know that the best is yet to come. Good, good. I'm excited to be here. We are excited uh, today, especially because um, it's Leprechaun Sunday. Um, everybody with their green shirts on. Um, but we're excited about that because uh, it's the day, when, it's our first Sunday out of the next two Sundays that we're going to have an opportunity for you to sign up to be in a connect group. If you're not in a connect group, um, these shirts are our uh, connect group shirts that just say, I'm in the best connect group ever. We always joke around about the fact that our group's better than any other group. And so if you're not in a group, we'd love for you to get in one. And this Sunday, you'll have that opportunity to sign up after the service. You can go out into the atrium and uh, there'll be signs that you probably saw coming in this morning that'll tell you about where the different groups are, college guys, college girls, um, couples groups, multi-generational groups, whatever. Um, we've got different groups. And the reason we do is because we feel like it's very important for you to be in community with each other. And it's one of the ways that we make a big church feel small is for you to get with eight or 10 or 12 other folks who are going the same direction you're going and, and be able to share life and do life with them together because we really believe that these small groups is where real life change happens. And so if you're not in a group, uh, I hope you'll check us out and get in a group um, and make it a priority in your life to be in one. Um, but you can do that after the service. You're actually going to get to leave the service a little early if you're here to sign up for groups. So um, go check them out. And uh, if for no other reason, you get out of the service early, right? Amen. So anyway, um, also uh, today is special because as you know, if you've been coming here for a while, we've planted three campuses um, to this date. Uh, we've planted Statesboro, uh, we've planted Vidalia, we've planted Millen, and you've heard about our fourth campus, which is actually already underway, and that campus is in Dublin, Georgia. 
And so we have visiting with us today some of the folks from Dublin who have become a part of getting this church going and, and getting it started. And so I wanted to recognize them real quick. If you're from Dublin, would you stand up real quick? Let us recognize you. These are the folks that are going to help make that happen. Sorry. We're excited about that and just excited to see what God's going to do um, in and through these folks as, as he works uh, and does what he does, changes hearts and changes lives. And so we're excited about that. Um, we're going to be starting Sunday evening services over there in January. Um, they're already meeting and starting up small groups and God's really doing some incredible things over there already. And so um, got folks who are about to be baptized coming up on September 11th in Dublin. Um, so we're just blown away already by what God's doing and very excited to see what he's going to do in the future. Now, today we are starting a new series and the name of this series is called The Win. And what we're looking at is how God, uh, what it looks like for God's church, the big C church, not just Connection Church, but the big C church to win. And we believe and what I've seen over the last few years and what I see in scripture is that in order for the church to win and do what God's called it to do, to accomplish the purpose that God wants it to accomplish, there's four, four cultures that have to be strong in a church. We've seen this practically, we see this in scripture, and I wanna tell you those real quick because the next four weeks we're gonna be going through these. The first one, and we're talking about this today, is serving, a strong culture of serving. The second one is evangelism. The third one is community, and the fourth one is generosity. And we have to see these being strong in the church, not the building, but in the believers, in the body of believers that make up the church in order for the church to do and accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. In other words, in order for the church to win at what it's called to do and to be. And so um, we're going to be looking at those today, specifically looking at serving. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be there for pretty much the whole service. Um, looking at what Paul says about the body of Christ, the believers, the church, and the gifts that God's given us and how those are supposed to be used and what that means for us. And I really want you today to think about this, that, that faithful service produces a fruitful life. When we faithfully serve God and others, God's faithful to produce fruit that, for the kingdom of God in our lives. And so faithful service produces a fruitful life. And we're going to be looking at that. But first, before we jump in, let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. Thank you for your word that is powerful. God, I pray that this morning you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that we would set this time apart to hear from you. God, that as we open our hearts, that you would pour into them your word, pour into them your life, pour into us boldness and courage to accomplish the things that you've given us to accomplish. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you now. We need you to move. Don't let this be another church service that we would just walk through and get out and, and nothing's different. But let us open our hearts and God, you do what you do. Transform them. Lord, we love you. We praise you for loving us and for, for the grace you've given us through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this summer and every summer we try to go to the beach for a, a while and this summer was no different. We went down to the beach and uh, we like to go to St. Augustine usually for a few days. And so we get down there and uh, I'm not a big water person. I know a lot of you probably love the water. You love to be in the water. Um, I just, I'm not big on water. 
Uh, I, I, even as a kid, like the swimming pool was not the place that I necessarily wanted to be. I would have rather been playing ball or doing something like that. And so the water's not a big thing for me. But a couple of my boys, I've got three boys, and a couple of them really love the water. And they love to be in the ocean. And so typically the way it works is I'll spend some time out there, but a lot of times I'm in the chair watching them in the water. Um, and I'm sitting on the beach, you know, and uh, just watching them. And, and, and I've noticed something that happens. It happens every year. And they're completely oblivious to it until we point it out to them. And it can happen 100 times during a week, and they're completely oblivious to it every time. But when they go out in the water and they're playing and not really paying attention to what's going on around them, what begins to happen to them as they're out there playing? They begin to drift, right? Somebody said float away, but hopefully they don't like float away, but I know what you're saying. And so, but we, we, uh, we see them drifting and floating kind of down the beach, right? And, and the tide is kind of pulling them down the beach. And so we, uh, we, we notice this happening. And so what we do as parents is once they get a little bit too far, we walk down the beach and we have to get out of our chair and we go down there and we you know, try to whistle. And that was a pathetic whistle, by the way. But we try to whistle and get their attention. And, and then they can't hear us because of the waves. And so we're like this right here. And then they look and we're yelling at them and they still can't hear. Them. And we're kind of like this, you know, just making motions and trying to get their attention. And not like they haven't already had this experience, you know, 25 times already. But they, they kind of like, like, what do you want, you know? And so you finally have to get them to move. But they don't even realize what's going on. I was thinking about that in relationship to this message and, and what God's put on my heart for this morning. And the thing that I realized is that our lives can be like that. Our lives can be like that slow drift where in life we just sort of drift through life alone or, or, or on our own. And, and, and we don't even realize a lot of times that we're drifting, that we're not in the place that God wants us to be or we're not doing the things that God wants us to do. And so I want us today to realize that if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, it's going to be because we've been very intentional about what we're doing, I'm being very intentional um, about our serving and about those four cultures that the church has to have in order to be effective, in order to do the things that God's called us to do. We've got to be intentional about that or else we just drift through life and we get to a point where we realize I'm not where God wants me to be. And one day we wake up and look and we're 100 yards down the beach and we don't even realize that we've drifted off of the place or away from the place that God wants us. And one of the places that God wants us is in faithful service to him and to other people. He wants us doing that. That's one of the things that he is very serious about. You don't have to look any further than the very life of Jesus to see that God is serious about this, that God wants us to win at serving. He wants us to be effective in our serving, him and each other. And, and what I wanted to tell you real quickly kind of what it looks like when you win at that. What does it look like in people's lives? One of the things it looks like is that people are more focused on Jesus than they are themselves. So that we see people's eyes, they're focused on him, not on themselves. Another thing is that we, we see that people are united around one purpose. That we're united together around a purpose, a common purpose. Another thing is we realize that people are less focused on themselves and more focused on others. So we begin to go to the back burner so other people's lives can become more important to us. We see that people are growing in the image of Jesus. Here's the reality of it, guys. We can't become like Christ, and we're all, if we're Christians, supposed to becoming, be becoming more like Jesus. We can't become like him until we become servants, until we begin to serve other people. 
Um, it also looks like people who are impacting the community and the world around them. So that we're leaving a footprint as a church, we're leaving a footprint as Christians in people's lives, a good footprint, so that people's lives are being transformed. Here's what I believe. I believe that God wants to transform this community. I believe that God wants to transform Statesboro, Georgia. I believe that God wants to transform Vidalia, Georgia. I believe that God wants to transform Millen, Georgia. I believe that God wants to transform Dublin, Georgia. And I believe he wants to do it through this body of believers, the people that God has put in those places to transform. And I believe that any church that is preaching the gospel and living out these cultures, that God is going to use them to transform communities. I just want us to be a part of that. I want us to see us, see us do what God created us to do. I want us to, to, to fulfill that purpose. And, and I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about how we win at this. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we go about serving? How do we go about um, realizing the importance of this? How do we fulfill this, this thing that God's given us to do? And what does that look like? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, let's start there. It says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul here is really drawing our attention quickly. He was, he was, God was writing this letter through Paul to the Corinthians. And, and so what we see in this letter is, is Paul is quickly saying, look, this is important. You need to pay attention. I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. By this time, Paul is deep into this letter. And it's almost like he's standing there going, wake up, guys. Look, you need to hear this. It made me think about uh, like when I fly. And, and I remember the first time that I flew and the stewardess was going through the the whole pre-flight routine that they do. And, and I was like glued, right? I was like, oh, I need to know this stuff. And I'm trying to soak it all in and remember it all. After I flew a couple of times, I was like everybody else on my phone, trying to get that last text message in, looking at my iPad, reading a book or, or whatever. And nobody pays attention. And I thought, you know, if I were her, I would be like, y'all need to pay attention. But I don't pay attention because I think about this, what good is a flotation device really gonna do me if this thing goes down, right? And so I look at it and I'm like, we need to pay attention to this. This is important. That's what Paul was saying. This is important for us to pay attention to. Don't zone out on this. This is something that is extremely important for us to understand and to realize. Verse 2 and 3, it says, you know that when you were pagans, in other words, when you were not Christians, before you became Christians, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is, is dealing with some false teachers who come in to lead the Corinthians astray. They're, they're teaching some false things. And so he wants them to see and understand that nobody can say that Jesus is Lord and, and sincerely mean it except the Holy Spirit reveals that to them and puts it in their heart. And no one can, 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 can say that Jesus be cursed and have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so he's wanting them to see that, that we need to get the first thing first. We need to understand that, that the first thing we need to get to is the Lordship of Christ. He's saying this is really an important thing. He's saying that you can't be led astray by all these other things that used to, to lead you off the path. He's saying get the Lordship of Jesus right. If the Spirit's in you, then you can confess Jesus as Lord. And you have a different way to go. 
He's saying you no longer have to drift along according to the world's ways, but you can live now according to the Spirit. You can live now under the Lordship of Jesus. You have a better way to live. In other words, he's telling these Corinthians, you don't have to live in sexual immorality anymore. There's a new way to live. He's telling these same Corinthians, you, know, you don't have to give in to your spiritual pride any longer. You can live your life differently. He would be telling us, you don't have to give in to that addiction, that pornography, those drugs, that alcohol. You don't have to give in to that anymore anymore because Jesus breaks those chains off of you and you have a better way that you can live according to the spirit and in the freedom in Christ. He's saying you don't have to have you know, that anger anymore. You can replace that with peace in your heart because of what the spirit of God does in you and works in you. He's telling us that there's a better way to live and that way is in following Christ and being a part of the body of Christ. And so when we see this, it's, it's huge. The lordship of Jesus sets us free to follow him and to be a part of the body that God's called us to be a part of. Verse four, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. So he's saying this God of ours, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this God of ours is working together um, in all these different ways, but he's working them all um, in the same way for the same purpose. And he tells us that in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the purpose for these manifestations, these gifts of the Spirit, these, these um, enablings that God has given us, or for the building up of the body, the common good of the church, the building up of the people. And he says, to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a spirit of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are at work are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I want you to see in this that Paul is really showing us that God unites us around one purpose. If we're going to win at serving, we've got to be united around one purpose. First of all, we have to submit to the lordship of Jesus. Second, we have to be united around one purpose. And that's what he's telling us in this text is this, this God takes all of these different gifts, all of these different workings, all of these different services, and he brings them together in one for the building up of the church. And so we, the body of Christ, are united around one purpose, the gospel, to share the gospel of Jesus. That one purpose is really this. If you want to write this down, this is the one purpose that all of those gifts and all of that diversity works towards as God brings it together. And the one purpose is that God would be glorified through his church, that God would be glorified through his church. But the reality is for, for us that in many ways, God's not been glorified through his church. In many ways, the church has been its own enemy because so often we confess one thing and live another. And Paul would tell us that can't be so that we can't confess, confess God and then go our own way. Not meaning that any of us are perfect, but it means that we're doing our best and, and doing what we can according to the power of the Spirit of God to follow the Spirit of God so that God is glorified. And one of the ways he's glorified is through our service, through our service to each other. And I want to be real clear about when and where we serve. And to help you remember it, I thought about this, that we, we, we serve when we gather and when we scatter. 
We serve when we gather and when we scatter. So when we get together on Sunday mornings, we're serving each other. Whether it's in a parking lot or whether it's in this atrium or whether it's wearing a blue shirt or an orange shirt serving kids, we're serving one another, um, building up the body, encouraging one another, welcoming people in, all of those sorts of things. We're serving one another. And so when we look at this, one of the ways we serve is when we gather, when we gather as a connect group and we serve each other, um, we, we build each other up, we serve one another. Maybe it's feeding a meal, maybe it's leading the study, whatever it might be, we're serving each other to build each other up. But we also serve when we scatter. We serve when we're scattered, when we're away from the church. See, the church isn't locked into four walls. The church is us. So when we leave this place, we carry the church into the world. We're not just stuck in this building. We're not called to be stuck in here. That's been the problem with the church for too long is we think that what happens inside these walls is just the, is all the work of the church. But the work of the church continues after we leave this building and until we come back the next week. The work of the church is not just what happens in here. And so we continue to serve. And I want to give you five things that are five places that I believe are harvest fields, places where God wants to produce fruit in our life. Because remember... A faithful life of service produces a fruitful life for the kingdom, right? And so when you look at this, the very first place is our family. Our family. Are we, church, leading our family? Are we serving our family? Men, are we being the spiritual leader of our home? Are we leading our family closer to Jesus? Are we being an example of Christ to them? Here's something that always gets me when I think about it and I ask myself this question. What would my children or my spouse say is the most important thing in my life? Would they say Jesus? If you're a student, what would those around you say is the most important thing in your life? Are we leading people closer to him or away from him? But our family, think about that. Another one that we need to think about is the church, and we talked about this one. It's a harvest field. It's a place where we see harvest. We had someone give their life to Christ at the 9 o'clock service. It was, absolutely, it was incredible. Never gets old to see that. But the reality is we need to see the church, this, this gathering, is a harvest field where people hear the gospel, and they're able to come to know Jesus. Another one that we need to see is our community, the community around us. Whether we're at the ball field or whether we're doing our hobby or whatever it might be, are we serving people? Are we serving God in a way that shows them the reality of who Jesus is? Another one for us is work. Those of us who work full-time jobs, think about this. You spend more time awake at work than you probably do at home. Right? Well, and I don't know if you might sleep on your job, but the reality is that, that we spend a lot of time working. It's a great harvest field. It's a great place for us to show others the reality. But do we spend our time grumbling and complaining or we spend our time serving others and, and having a different outlook on our work and what we do? The last one is the world. The last one is the world, that we're to go to the world and serve the world. Wherever the Spirit leads us to serve, that we go and we serve wherever that is. And so God calls us to that. He calls us to be united around one purpose, to serve God and do what God wants us to do. I want you to see this, people. I want you to listen now. I want you to see this because God has a better future in mind if the church does what the church is called to do. God has a, a, a 
communities being changed in mind, people's lives being changed in, in mind. He wants us to see, uh, he wants people to see that there can be hope in Jesus. And he wants to take all of us in all of our different ways, in all of our diversity, and he wants to put us together, united around one purpose to do a great work. He wants to take black people. He wants to take white people. He wants to take yellow people, brown people, whatever color people you can find. And he wants to put us together in all of our differences, but put them together around one purpose so that it builds up this glorious church so that everyone can see it. It doesn't matter what, what color our skin is. It doesn't matter if we're rich. It doesn't matter if we're poor. God wants to take us and put us together in a way that doesn't deny that there's differences, but takes it and says something greater than our differences, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he wants us to hold that up high together so that people can see that there is a better way to live life, that there is hope in Christ. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter really if we like that or not. And I'll tell you, it, if you don't like that, probably not going to like heaven very much. Because we're going to see every tribe. We're going to see every tongue. We're going to see every nation on its knees bowing and worshiping Jesus together. And we're going to realize that the things that we thought separated us were really minute in the beginning. That they didn't matter. And we're going to see God take, a, take people. And I pray that we see this now. That God takes people from different backgrounds and different walks of life and different experiences and puts us together in such a way that it makes a glorious church that brings glory to his name and lifts the name of Jesus high. Verses 12 through 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So listen to that. He says we were all baptized by one spirit and all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. In other words, what he's saying is we're bound together around this purpose. We're united around this purpose. But the thing that unites us is, is really not a thing. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. And so we're bound, yes, around this purpose. But we're also in a place where we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you go back and you read through the book of Acts, which tells about the early church, and what you'll see is you'll see people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And you'll see people that shared all things together. You'll see people that were filled with an uncommon courage to share their faith together. You'll see people that were willing to give whatever it took to their brother or their sister in order to give them what they needed for life. And you see this this perseverance that is in them to do life together because they were bound together by the Holy Spirit and united around one purpose, around one thing. And I want you to see that the Holy Spirit not only binds us together, but he also gives us the gifts of the Spirit that we're to use when we are together. And so those gifts come by him. He gives us those gifts to be used. All sorts of different gifts, whether it's prophecy or administration or a gift of faith or a gift of mercy. There's all these different gifts that the scripture talks about. But he gives us those gifts. The way we get those gifts is simply through grace. The same way we receive salvation. 
See, you can't do anything to earn the Spirit in your life, in you. All you do is receive him when you receive Christ. So that when we come to faith in Jesus and we are given righteousness and, 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 and given uh, our, our sins are taken away through Christ, then basically what we see is the same thing with um, that grace that gives us righteousness is the same grace that gives us the gifts of the Spirit. And so that's how we receive them. That's where God gives them is through um, his spirit. And we see that the spirit is what binds us together, what gives us gifts to be used when we're together. And so we can't do what God's called us to do apart from the spirit of God. We've got to live in a place where we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not an option. So we see that we're united around a purpose, but that what binds us together is God's spirit. Verses 15 and 16 say this. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And so what he's saying is, look, just because you say I'm not this or I'm not that doesn't mean you're not a part of the body. If you're a Christian, the reality of it is you're a part of the body of Christ, his church. And just because we reject the responsibility of being part of the body, it doesn't mean that the responsibility is gone. Just because we pretend it's not there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Does that make sense? So that just because we say, well, I'm not going to be a part of the body. If you're a Christian, you're part of the body. You're just rejecting what God has for you to do if you're not serving him and serving each other and serving others in the community and in the world. We're just rejecting. We can't pretend it's not there. The reality is for us that we've got to see that and understand that God's given us a responsibility to fulfill in the church and outside the church. The other day, um, how many of you like to eat pistachios? Any pistachio eaters in here? A lot of hands go up. Those things, man. Um, I was, uh, the other day, my, my sons, they love to eat pistachios. And really, I'm 40 years old, and I had never eaten a pistachio until the other day. And so I decided, I'm going to eat one of these things. I want to know what this is, these things taste like. And so I popped one in my mouth, and I was like, man, that's pretty good. So I had about, ended up getting about 12, 15, maybe 100 in my hand. <laughs> and I was sitting there eating them. And, and I probably ate about 12, 15 of these things. And as soon as I, I got done eating them, uh, I, I literally could feel my tongue starting to swell up in my mouth. And I, I'm allergic to cashews and I'm allergic to almonds. And evidently I'm allergic to pistachios <laughs> because my tongue started swelling up. I was like, oh, you know, and I could feel my throat. It got sore and all of a sudden I could feel it swelling. My eyes swell up. So it looked like I had three eyelids. I mean, it was like all like this. And, and, and uh, so I did what any normal, rational, smart, intelligent human being would do. I went outside and played basketball. And here was my line of thinking. The boys wanted to play basketball. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out there, play basketball, forget this ever happened, and pretend it's just going to go away. And so I went out there, played basketball for a little while. I could still feel this thing going on. And, and the reality was I pretended that it wasn't there, but it didn't make it go away. And so I ended up having to go in, take, you know, like 100 Benadryl or whatever it was. And, and then eventually the next, by the next day, my eyes were still swollen, but eventually it still it went away. And so um, I found out, one, I'm allergic to pistachios, but two, it taught me a lesson that just because you pretend something's not there doesn't mean it's not reality. And the reality is that God's given us a responsibility 
to him and to fulfill and to serving him and serving other people. If you look at verse 17 through 20, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be as it is? There are many parts, but one body. I want you to see this, that God has given you a very um, specific, a very um, determined part of the body to play. He's called you to be a part of it. He has specifically called you to be a part and, and to, to realize that you're specifically designed for a role in the body, a role in the church, a role to play. I want you to understand that because a lot of times what I hear people say is, well, God really hadn't given me a gift. That's not true. Every person in here has been gifted by God to be a part of the body of Christ. And you can take spiritual inventories and you can do all of that, those, the spiritual tests to see what you're strong in and what you're weak in. I'm not against those, but I can tell you the way that I see people find out their spiritual gift the most is when they finally just start doing something in the kingdom. And then God begins to lead them to, do, to, to, to show them what it is that he's called them to do and to be. He guides them into that. And so you have a very real part to play. I hear people say this all the time. Well, I don't have much to offer or, or there's not much for me to do or, or I'm just not really that gifted. But I would tell you this, that Jesus is much more interested in how much you'll trust him in than he is in how much you have. How much will you trust him with versus how much do you have? Because remember when he fed 5,000 people? You remember how many fish and how many loaves he had? He had five loaves and two fish, but what did he do? He multiplied it and he used it to feed all of those people. It's the same thing with our giftings. It's the same thing with if we will trust him with what he's given us, he will exponentially grow that into something that is beyond our wildest dreams. Remember, we serve the God who does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. So are we trusting him with what we've been given? You remember the lady with the two coins, the two small coins, she drops them in the offering at the church and Jesus had been watching at the temple and Jesus had been watching um, all these people bringing their gifts and putting them in the treasury at the temple and, and the, these wealthy people bringing these gifts and dropping them, leaving them there. And this lady walks up and she leaves these two small coins and Jesus says she gave more than all of them because they gave out of an abundance, she gave all that she had. Jesus is much more interested in what we're willing to give him than how much we have to give. He wants us to trust him with all of it so that he can use it exponentially to reach people. Verse 21 through 27, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. So can you see what he's doing? He's talking about equality. He's talking about people not holding other people higher or there being a church hierarchy where some people were seen as more important than others. He says, while 
general parts need no more special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. In other words, that there's nobody put on a pedestal, but we all see the importance of our role. In fact, if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in serving and serving each other and serving him, we've got to realize that every part is important. Verse 26 says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In other words, we're together in this. No one is more important than the other. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And so I want you to see this, that everybody's role is important. That's why I always tell you, don't put me or some other pastor on a pedestal. What I'm doing on Sunday mornings is just my part of the body. It's just the part that God's called me to play. And so when I do this, it's not because I'm more important. That's why it doesn't matter who stands up here on this stage. It's not because I'm more important. It's because this is what God's called me to do, just like he's called you to serve in other ways. He's called you to serve him and to serve others in different ways. And so we see that and we can recognize that. And I want you to understand that none of what God's done in this church, none of what God does in the church would happen if people weren't playing their part. In fact, I wanted to read this to you. It was a card I got last week. It was an anonymous card. I have no idea who wrote it. I hope they don't mind that I read it, but there's no way for you to know who it was either unless you wrote it. And so um, I wanted to share it with you because I want you to see the impact that those of you who you're serving, I want you to see the impact that it's making. I want you to understand the impact when we serve in this community that it makes, when we serve in this church that it makes. It says, Brandon, y'all truly are making a difference. Thank you. Thank you for this service, reminding me that God has a purpose for me even when I feel so lost and useless, reminding me that God is going to use my life and that self-harm is not the solution. This church has been a blessing in my life over the last six years while I've attended off and on. I'm especially thankful for this church today. It took a lot of courage to come back. Thanks for always welcoming me home. And when I read that, it just showed me again the importance of what we do, not what I do, what we do. See, God touched them from the time they drove in here to the time that they left. God moved in their hearts, whether it was in the parking lot or in this atrium or whatever it may be. God's making a difference. If you're serving in kids, you're making a difference. While we were at the beach this year, my five-year-old Reed, he comes in to the bedroom and he says, Daddy, I want to be baptized. I'm like, well, hold on, son. Before you get baptized, you got to be a Christian. You got to believe in Jesus. He said, I do. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, it means that Jesus took away my sin. And, And it means that if I believe in him, then I'll live with him forever. And he starts laying this out for me. And I'm like, wow, he's got it. And so we asked him, do you want to put your faith, your trust in Jesus? He said, yes. And man, while we're at the beach, my son comes to faith in Christ or he confesses his faith in Jesus, my five-year-old. And you know, he gets set at home, he does. But the reality of it is every week, he also has people who pouring into him in this church and other people who are role models for him and showing him and pointing him to Jesus. Other people who are, who are showing him the reality of who God is. 
And so for me, what that means is that you've helped my son go and spend eternity with Jesus. You've helped him find Jesus as the Lord of his life. You've helped him to come to a place where he can, he can confess his faith as a five-year-old. And this is what I believe. I believe that he'll serve God for all the days of his life. It's awesome to see that. And so here's the here's the the thing I want you to see is that the part you're called to play matters, guys. It matters. If you're a believer in Christ, it matters. The last few verses. And God has placed it in the church, and he goes through some different offices, different positions, and then he goes through some gifts and asks some rhetorical questions. God is placing the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets? And the answer to these is no, is his point. Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greatest gifts, and listen to this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then he goes into that famous chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 where he describes love and what love looks like and what love is. The one you hear at weddings all the time, right? Like Paul wrote that just for weddings. And so we see that Paul says, this is important. This is the most excellent way. And, and if we're gonna do what God's called us to do and be what God's called us to be, our hearts have to be transformed by love. Our hearts have to be transformed by love. And if we're gonna have a heart to serve God and to serve other people, I want you to understand that that begins at salvation. When we experience God's grace, when we come to faith in Jesus, that we believe that Jesus took our sin upon himself, took the wrath of God upon himself, died a death that we should have died, was crucified on that cross, was buried, was dead, and then God raised him to life. And he came out three days later after God had raised him, overcoming sin, overcoming death, overcoming the grave and giving us the promise that those who put their faith in him would have the same experience. And so we see this, that that's when this heart begins. Because when we come to that faith, we also receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God comes into us and he changes our hearts so that our desires become different. So that we have a desire, a bent, a, a want to serve God. A desire, a bent, a want to serve other people. And so this is where it begins, is that salvation. It continues because we have a motivation. We're motivated by a burden. Something burdens us. So you're sitting here today because God burdened our heart with something. He took a small group of people and he burdened our heart to see those who were far from God come close. He burdened our heart to see those who'd just been religious all of their lives to come to a place where they were on fire for God, realizing that God is real. He's not just some, something that was made up in some book, but that we can experience today. You're here because we were motivated and are continually motivated by a burden for people to know Christ and to fulfill their God-given purpose. We also know that this heart to serve God and others is sustained by that relationship with Jesus and by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we see this, we have to realize that it's only through my relationship with Christ and only through the Spirit of God working in me and through me that I can fulfill the purposes that God has put me here to 
fulfill. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, but be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally translated, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be controlled by, be led by the Spirit of God. And we've got to be continually filled. My prayer for you is that you would, it would be like every day of your life would be like a mini Pentecost where before your feet hit the floor, you, you, you pray and ask God to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit because he's faithful to do that. And that we would live from that, serving God and serving others. And I want to ask you this morning, have you come to that first step of salvation? Have you come to that first step of saying yes to Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life? Have you taken that first step to say, that's what I want, that's what I need? Has the Holy Spirit changed your heart? Has the Holy Spirit given you greater desires for God, leading you away from sin and towards Him? Because that's the normal Christian life, is lives that have been transformed by the Spirit. And if today, look, in many ways, this message can be an indicator of our heart. If this is foreign to us and we have no desire for this, then it's a good indication that we may not have met Christ, that we probably haven't. But today you can. And if God's drawing you to him, if God is working in your heart, drawing you to, the, to him, drawing you to Jesus, drawing you to a relationship with him, and today, by a step of faith, you can meet him. You can meet this very real God. You can have your heart transformed, and you can spend the rest of your days serving this incredible God that we serve. But you got to take that first step. You got to put your faith in him, and you got to trust him with your salvation, with your life. You got to trust him as Lord to lead you. And today, if you've never done that, but the Lord's speaking to your heart and you know that he's calling you to salvation, he's calling you to a relationship with him that you've never had before, then this is what I want you to do. If you want to say yes to that relationship, yes to him, if you want to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ today, and he's drawing you to himself, and this is what I want you to do in a very crowded room, I want you to raise your hand and be bold and say, yeah, that's what I need. I need a relationship with Jesus today. That's what I need is I need a relationship with God. No way you can do this apart from the Holy Spirit, but if the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself today, then I say raise your hand and let's begin this, this journey together of walking through, and, and we want to pray with you and, and, and celebrate with you, but you today say, I need that. I need that relationship with the Lord. Stick your hand up in the air. All right. Then here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those who say, I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need Him to continue to work in my heart. And we're going to close this out. But if you're here today and you just say, I, I know God's called me to, to, to this. I know God's put this me in this body for a reason. He's put me in the church for a reason. But I need the power of the Holy Spirit right now. I just need to be filled again with the Spirit of God. And I'm going to ask you right where you are. Do you raise your hand and say, by faith today, I want to, to ask God to fill me with the power of the Spirit of God. Just an act of faith in saying that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your heart for us, your love and grace in our lives. Lord Jesus, would you work in a mighty way in us? 
Would you continue to move in our hearts? God, would you flood us, fill us, refresh us through the power of your spirit? Would you embrace those who today just cry out to you and say, I need you, God. Would you embrace them and comfort them and fill them and empower them and give them courage and give them boldness to serve you, God? Will we not waste this incredible opportunity that you've put before us and given us, Jesus? Will we fulfill every purpose and every calling on our lives because the spirit of God moves us burdens us, sustains us to do that, God. And I pray for those who are far from you today, maybe they just couldn't take that step. I pray that you would draw them and encourage them in a mighty way to take that step of faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.